2: Hello, one and all, and welcome to Book Off, the Literary Podcast with a difference I'm your host Joe haddo and it's a pleasure to have you with us if you're a new listener welcome and if you're one of our regulars well it's so good to have you back and thank you for always supporting the podcast uh, if you like what you hear if you're a fan of this series then please do shout about it and share it with some book loving friends we're always open to more listeners here and the more we can spread the word the better for us and we really appreciate it on the recording of today's episode we were happy By gremlins uh, who were insistent on making our life a misery. Uh, But we managed to connect all the wires uh, to bring you DBC Pierre and Sophie Macintosh from various parts of the UK. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. As always, I'm joined by two fabulous authors who will be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on in our book off. My first guest is a man booker and Whitbread Prize winning author who wrote Vernon God Little, one of my favourite books, lights out in Wonderland and is here to tell us about his latest novel, Meanwhile in Dopamine City. DBC Pierre, hello and welcome to you.
0: Hey, good afternoon. Thank you
2: it's so great to have you here Um, and also joining us a novelist and short story writer who was long listed for the book prize for her first novel The Water Cure back in 2018 and she's here to tell us about her latest novel Blue Ticket it's Sophie McIntosh hello and welcome to you hi good
3: afternoon
2: Good afternoon. Um, And usually we'd be sat in a nice cosy studio drinking uh, coffee or something stronger um, and you will have all met. But uh, obviously we can't do that and it's all virtual. So uh, Pierre, Sophie, Sophie, Pierre.
0: Hey, thank you. Good to meet you. Good to virtually meet you without yeah, the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> without the coffee. I've actually got the know, coffee on should, the go. <laughs> should, yeah, we could have had coffee for this or pizza or something.
2: <laughs> That's happening a lot more, I've noticed, in this strange old age of, of lockdown, not lockdown, where um, people are sort of having curries virtually, you know, or pizza virtually, and friends are sort yeah, of getting yeah. together over, <laughs> over a Zoom, a Zoom dinner. Um, I'm yet to do that. I have to say, Um, but quite a time, Pierre, for your book to come out in this uh, era of everyone, (laughs) the apocalypse, (laughs) but also (laughs) a time when everyone's turning to technology and the internet for uh, a way of communication.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's a flag in the sand. I mean, the tide will very quickly, will very quickly uh, bury the notion that, that there's anything wrong going on behind our technology.
2: But tell us a little bit about meanwhile in Dopamine City. Then this is your okay. your latest book.
0: Meanwhile in Dopamine City, it it actually is the prequel to an anime or a manga comic mm. in which the very final scene. This this is the genesis, uh, and you probably only figure this out when you get to the final scene, if if at all. But the very final frame of the book is the beginning of an anime, and uh, the suggestion is that we've left all the accumulated uh, culture and society of thousands of years behind and we're at the turning point where we become the next thing, a virtual creature. And uh, so the book is about the, the arguments behind that and it tells the story of a single father simply trying to raise his children with smartphones and having a very bad time of it. <laughs>
2: And it's it's set in, a, in an unnamed country. Um, and as I was reading it, I couldn't help feel sort of, well, resemblances to, to Australia, uh, but also the USA. And I just wondered, did you have a, a specific place in mind for where you had set it, or was it a, a mixture of many places?
0: Yeah, it's just a mixture. It's the Anglo world, mm-hmm. uh, of course, because our little bubble is a particular nation unto itself of the mind um it's got a little bit of the the patois the rhythm is uh, a bit american so it's kind of a bookend to vernon and closes off that um uh, two decades of the millennium in which uh, so much has changed well yeah i mean it's uh,
2: it, it's amazing to think 20 years isn't it across the last 20 years specifically and
0: where yeah. we are now to, to... That's kind of what the book is about, too. It's a, a, the absolute vertical curve of change that we're on now to where it, we're beyond grasping and understanding. It's completely out of our hands mm. what will happen next. And uh, we're also in the grip of this fabulous numbness uh, of inevitability where we've, we've taken for granted, which is, by the way, an engineered phenomena, uh, it's now been discovered by the consultants to some of your big tech companies, but uh, the notion that it's inevitable and that this is the way things are going is a completely engineered thing, mm. and we're completely going along with it. And so the curve is out of our hands, and we're just kind of sitting here waiting for the next outrage or or, or the next uh, the next technological phenomena to come along.
2: Well, I want to I want to talk a bit more about tech and your sort of interest, if you like, or certainly the way that you talk about the computer age that we're, that we're living through um, in a moment. Sophie, if I could come to you to talk about Blue Ticket briefly. This is your follow-up to The Water Cure, as I mentioned, that was your debut, and it's the story of Kala. Can you tell us a little bit about her and, and also about the lottery?
3: Yeah, uh, so Blue Ticket is set in a world where on the day of the first period, girl, girls are taken to a lottery station. And then through a lottery system, they pick a white ticket or a blue ticket. And the blue ticket means they can't have children, and a white ticket means that they can. So Kala picks a blue ticket, and this decision kind of follows her through the rest of her life and influences the kind of life she's allowed. Um, But when she gets to her 30s, even though she's not supposed to have children, she kind of feels the urge to have a child. And so she gets pregnant illegally and kind of goes on this... A psychedelic road trip across this <laughs> um, odd world
2: <laughs> yes because she well the blue ticket sends her to the city doesn't it the city in yeah. inverted commas which is where she sort of finds her her freedom after she gets pregnant the story then turns into this dangerous journey basically where she is on is on the run towards the the border because she decides the, the two choices that the doctor gives her is you know you can have an abortion or you can you can set go off now run. and I'll, yeah go on the run and I'll give you a head start so where where did the idea for this story come from to you
3: uh, I think I, I had been thinking about children I'd always really decided I, did, I didn't want to have children I'm, I'm not a very maternal person and then in my late 20s I kind of did start having uh, thinking about having children more and it was just quite bizarre to suddenly have these feelings, I guess, out of nowhere. And so I thought it would kind of be a good conceit for the novel. You know, It, it was kind of something I was wrestling with so much and it was kind of a comforting to think, you know, you could just a yes or a no, you wouldn't necessarily get to decide. Um, and I just, I really like like a very simple, um, even like simplistic kind of uh, conceit in the novel that you can just work around that kind of hypothetical um yeah that
2: hypothetical question mm. well also it's yeah, it's a, it's such a important question at the moment and it's one that so many women are facing because i think you know speaking to to friends and people i know who are either thinking about it or not they even the ones that know or think they know they don't want to have kids they sometimes get these pangs and i think you you actually allude to that in the book uh, that that sort of feeling that Carla has you know that that is just there whether she wants it to be or not
3: yeah yeah I think as well like um you know part of me was thinking oh do we need another kind of dystopian novel about reproduction but I think my angle and sort of take on it is more about um how motherhood relates to your sense of self and I guess like the type of person you are. Like she's been told her whole life she is a person who should not have babies because, you know, there's something missing in her maybe. She does, like she's not the type of person who should and then she's kind of rewriting the whole narrative of mm. herself and what she wants in this way.
2: And Pierre, of course, in, in your book, the main characters that Lonnie, Egan and Shelby Anne, they are they are without a mother because she has passed away. Yeah. Um but it's it's it plays a lot into I think them and their characters. Where did the idea for these characters in the setting and the story you wanted to tell actually come from?
0: Uh, good question. <laughs> they grew they grew organically. The thing is also it's it's uh, it's very interesting and good that that Sophia's here because uh, her work is especially the Water Cure is is one of those books that. I say, well, God, I would have done it just like that, or tried to do it, just like that. <laughs> um, so absolutely bang on. And I wanted this to be um, a work where the... It's about male energies, and we have to remember the, um, the, the world of big tech is a young white male phenomena mm. that is in the world. So all our arguments about... Uh, gender our arguments about race and, and all these big, big questions that are happening are creating profits for young white males and designed to extract uh, uh, more and more stuff from us. And I wanted particularly a man in there because, I don't know, I just, I think we flounder. He kinda gets rescued in the end by, by certain, by just by the women he knows, but he himself is without that uh, that compass and completely adrift and especially where 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 the kids come in and it was just important for uh, for him to be properly alone if you like isolated in the situation and the way to do that was to take a woman out of his immediate equation mm-hmm. and throw him in the deep end
2: yeah and actually talking of the the water cure and these two books i i'm not going to articulate this very well but I want you both to take it very much as a compliment. I felt when reading these books that there was a sort of a veil or a mist. There was something there, you know, that I couldn't quite get through. And while I was reading it and taking it all in, I felt, you know, like I could always put my hands through the, Prose to, to, and, and and to try and see a bit clearer. And I just wondered if you were conscious of this as a sort of style. Sophie, I'll ask you first, because I felt it when I read The Watercure as well, and I think we even talked about it. It's this sort of strange feeling that the reader gets of not being quite connected to the world that they're reading about.
3: Yeah, I think that's totally fair, especially in, in Blue Ticket as well, because um, everything is just a bit disorientating. I think I just... I just really like creating a world where you just feel a bit dislocated, and so this technology doesn't really match up, or you know, objects don't really match up. Everything is like a little bit out of place, and so it's sort of hard to get your bearings if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely like it's a conscious decision. I think I want to make the reader feel that bit uncomfortable, never quite like settle down, <laughs> and never quite get <laughs> to grips with like what's actually happening.
2: Yeah, keep us on our toes is what yeah. you're
3: saying.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and Pierre, for you, you know, I I read the book and felt in the the beginning anyway you know in in sort of like the bar scene for example at quite near the beginning of the book where we're learning about Lonnie and his sort of drinking pals you know it it felt both a very normal thing and yet there is there is this mist I don't know what it is I can't put my finger on it but did you were you aware of that (laughs) <laughs> I'm struggling here. Help me, Pierre. <laughs> no, you carry on. You're
3: doing
0: fine, Joe. Um, listen, no, I'm sitting here laughing because, of course, what we're talking about is, is photorealism. Uh, Sophie and I are photorealists. I'm mm. not Sophie, but what I'm describing is absolutely my connection to the world. It's that, Of course, it's dislocated, it's dislocated all the time. It's in, a, it's in, in the most extraordinary vortex of reason and sense, especially at the moment, that, uh, that I could have ever imagined. Mm. And, uh, and that's bound to infect the book. Uh, the question is, uh, this, this is what makes us consume, and it's what, uh, it's what informs our every day, is simply now looking for a sense of home, a sense of uh, security, if you like, and a sense of continuity, and that has completely gone And so, of course, the book had to have that by definition. But it was very simple because I just have to look out the window, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, of course. And just as we were connecting to this technology to allow us to speak to each other, and before you joined Pierre, we were talking Sophie and I about about your book, and also she mentioned that you know it turns it turns into this sort of column system system's uh, probably not the right you know you use columns as a binary. way to tell the prose yeah binary thank yeah. you and was that something you'd again that came organically a bit like the, the evolving of the characters or, or was that something that you'd set out to do
0: no that came at the very last minute that came I could have delivered the book uh, a year earlier <laughs> wow <laughs> and, uh, and I needed to do it you know I was poor and ready to deliver the book after already you know three or more years of work on the damn thing <laughs> but um, something wasn't right and it was the experience of leaving the book also is a, a flag in the sand of old versus you know I just wanted to say this is how things used to be and so the beginning of the book is is the good old days there's a single narrative things can be outrageous but we kind of there's a snap to grid function mm. in life where we know what reasonable is, and, and we know the tolerances of most things. And, of course, once you split your life into two things whereby you're living your actual life and, and uh, manipulating the little square of air and dimensions around your body, but also dealing virtually then with information and with people at a distance uh, and completely conceptually through your phone, then your worlds are split into two, and it's so ubiquitous now that we do the two things without thinking, and Mm. we we switch between them throughout the day. Uh, And I just, it was difficult for me to, because the book's allegorical as well, and it, it needed to not only explain that that was happening, but to have it happen. And so in the end, I said it's just got to go binary in some way, and in a form that actually you can ignore the one of those columns and just read the narrative through uh, mm. at a fast clip but of course those culture columns also inform the narrative and, and so you can get a little bit more out of it yeah but
2: your eye is drawn over you know as, it's 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 a strange sort of feeling and yet you, you want to read all the words
0: <laughs> we're just aware that something else is going on and that's the thing there's no there's no peace there's a 24-hour feed next to your head so even if you're just aware that something else is going on and that that your domain is no longer the is no longer the universe that it was Hmm.
2: sophie what's your relationship like with technology and with social media
3: uh, I feel like I'm, I'm like very online. <laughs> actually, it was funny uh, reading uh, Dopamine City and reading it on my Kindle, uh, not my Kindle, my iPad, and yeah. like, literally notifications popping up at the top of my screen <laughs> as I was reading it. I was a little bit on the nose. Going <laughs> uh, actually, like, it's, re- 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 reading it as well, Like, I think I might have had a really different reaction to it if. Like pre-pandemic, because I think my concentration has never got back to what it was. I know, like in the early days, I was literally I couldn't read a book, only checking, 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 checking everything. Mm. Um, so like that, that kind of reminded me of that experience a bit, um, in a really sort of interesting way. But yeah, I think I would love to be offline <laughs> yeah. I think I, I want to like pull a Sally Rooney and just kind of be able to delete all my social media and still like sell books but I feel like I, I deactivated my Twitter a while back and my US publishers were like can you Reactivate because you do have a book coming up. Like, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's nice, like, kind of purging feeling when you do get off it for a bit and, yes. I'm like wow, I have so much more time in my head. And, but you still have these, like, physical reminders, like, I'm still going to refresh the page and then remembering there's nothing to refresh because my Twitter feed is gone. It's, it's, it's a bit like, it's a bit worrying, really. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, I mean, it is. I, I just find the whole thing so scary and awful really is my personal opinion and although i mean i i'm sort of such a hypocrite really in that i, I really hate i really hate it i feel weird doing social media but, and yet i do do it you know i haven't shut down any accounts and that i just don't really go on them that much so you know it's like come on joe pick a lane what are you what are you in but reading meanwhile in dopamine city Pierre, i i got I got a real sort of sense of someone who 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 sort of feels the same as i do but is probably a bit further down the line with it that being you
0: <laughs> well do you know what is weird i love the technology um and i actually think it is uh, it could have been the key to a real emancipation and a real a genuine connection and i've always loved gadgets uh, i've been with computing i was programming you know, from starting in the early 90s and so it, the tech itself isn't isn't a problem there's some really nifty gadgets mm. my problem is that it doesn't belong to us that our behavior has become a market by itself and that data now belongs to others for their profit and so everything we're seeing is now engineered increasingly and bacterially engineered to extract from us our personalities our fears even our our intestinal flora our breathing our heart rate and any possible thing whatsoever with a with a view to owning all the information in the world and you know I don't want to give my uh, life to a corporation Mm. and that really it's kind of a double shame because these gadgets first of all these are gadgets and it, it is kind of incredible I mean, they've obviously found Uh, the seat of human foibles in that they've become the main game i mean they're supposed to be tools but actually now they are Well, they're like drugs aren't they now they're the sort of the drug of the youth well it's the dopamine hit we get just from things happening exactly uh, you know and, and likes and stuff but it could have been such a cool thing if it could have made us more autonomous is what i'm trying to say that data should have stayed in our homes and should have been under our control and we should have access to it at all times but Mm. you know now we have I mean the next level is now happening which is the internet of things and so you know your automatic vacuum cleaner is actually mapping and selling the floor plan of your house that's happening today Um, you know your, your gaming station is studying your eye contact and mapping that and selling it behind you onto a market we don't have access to that data so we are now we are now the the uh, the gold mine but unwittingly and you know we've taken it on the false premise that somehow that is in return for for certain free services and it's absolutely not true
2: would would I be right in thinking Pierre that that this book is set sort of in the now rather than in
0: the future yeah, it is set in the now. It goes a little bit into the future. And it,
2: it does tw- it, at the it, end, doesn't it? It gets yeah. a little bit weird. Yeah, yeah but not too far <laughs> into the
0: not too far into the future. I mean, it goes into some interesting sexual products, which I had, I had a lot of fun imagining. Um, <laughs> and um, but of course, they already exist. By the time I finished the book, of course there are uh, there are device. I'll try and do this extremely politely. Um, but there are device, personal devices you can have which via the wi-fi will connect to other people with the the Uh, okay uh, yeah where really there's not much you can't feel and do virtually now uh, um in in any sense and um so it's just a case of that becoming normal i think the book also is is about our biggest enemy i think uh in the current day which is how quickly how adaptable we are as a species and how quickly certain outrages just become normal and we move to the next level above them and i think we've uh, we've normalized way too much dangerous stuff at the moment
2: yeah well yeah i, I would agree with that actually and, and so did you have a sort of time in mind for blue ticket or is it some point in the future whether that be shortly in the future or way in the future
3: Kind of conceptualized it as almost like a parallel universe so that right. in my head it's kind of a bit in the future but obviously the technology um is very not like it's not up to date with what we have like there's a lot of tape recorders and like pay phones and stuff um i think part of that was logistical because you know if it did take place now um, or in the future with a lot of surveillance cameras and technology you know you, you can't really go on the run <laughs> she'll be found like very easily <laughs> yes that's true so, yeah it's like <laughs> well, if, she, if she if she is kind of operating in this world of like dictaphones and payphones uh, where well, you can just like disappear for a bit um, and <laughs> it kind of makes it work better but I think it I also like that idea of being able to disappear a bit more and that kind of analog feel I think like the main feel for me of the whole book is just kind of 90s European service station holiday (laughs) holiday holiday in a service station but you know like you've been on the motorway for ages and you're in like a strange town in Germany or something and you're kind of like really bored and you're eating something that you're not familiar with um, that kind of vibe So, you know. I was quite into there's a TV show. I can't remember what it's called. I think maybe it's called like Hunted or something. And you have to yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, you have to yeah. like disappear for a few weeks. I, was kind of, I, I really, really like that show. Even though I know it's completely like staged, but it was interesting to think like how how actually do you go on the run?
2: Well, yeah, because the, the I think the the best thing about that show, indeed, the draw of it, is that you sit there watching, thinking, what would I do? Yeah. <laughs> how would I how would I do it better than these idiots? <laughs> and of course, the truth is that you probably wouldn't, because you'd you'd get tracked somehow. <laughs> yeah,
3: I probably last about twenty four
1: hours.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's time for our book off now. This is where um, each of you gets uh, three minutes to tell us, um, me and the listeners, about a book you absolutely love, uh, something that you think we should all read, and, and something we may may have heard of them and may not have heard of. And it's uh, a little bit of competitive fun. Um, Before we uh, get to that, though, um, I'd love to know what you have been reading recently. Um, A question I hate being asked myself because I just go blank and can't think of the last book I had in my hand. Interesting, Sophie, that you said, you know, initially in in this strange period earlier in the year the the lockdown and everything that you couldn't really concentrate and and couldn't read and I was exactly the same and it actually took a I ended up reading a biography a musical biography to sort of get me back into um fiction again but now you're back up and running as it were what have you been um reading recently or or the last the last book that you've enjoyed
3: so I'm reading a book called Lustre by Raven Leilani at the moment, which I think is not out in the UK for a bit, um, but it's Ooh. come out in the US as a proof. Um, but also I kind of returned to kind of like comfort reading. I find myself gravitating to short stuff that I'd read before. Like I was reading um, Marguerite Duras quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I just found it very easy to kind of concentrate on and also she's so kind of cold and bleak <laughs> Yeah, kind of really uh, worked for me in those early days
2: um, Great, what about you Pierre, have you been you been reading?
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been reading. I'm a very slow reader, so my books happen in real time. I can read you know, a lifelong saga of generations and it actually takes me that long <laughs> to read the <some laughs> book uh, Just because I'm slow, I, I, I get stuck almost autistically on especially good writing I I uh, I just go back over and over and over it so I do about 3 pages a day
2: in a sort of pleasurable way in a sort of just yeah. to soak it up is that is, Yeah I love yeah. It.
0: it yeah it's to soak it up and just and just to revel I mean certain certain ideas and uh, turns of phrases are really fresh roses in a garden and when you come upon them for the first time of course Like everything, they have dynamic quality, and if you read them a 100 times, they'll lose that. But in the first moments when you find it, I just like to stay and and reflect. So good books uh, are are dangerous in that sense. (laughs) I can be stuck for a year with them. But the moment I'm doing, uh, again, also rather uh, splitting my spirit. So I have uh, my uh, evening reading is uh, Miklos Banfi, at the beginning of the Transylvanian trilogy, at the moment, which is um, uh, a very romantic uh, kind of Victorian setting in Transylvania mm. of society and all kinds of hijinks, <laughs> castles and stuff. Wow! Which is <laughs> is good escapism, and um, and on the other hand, then the the bucket of cold water is uh, the age of surveillance capitalism. <laughs> Which, which uh, I thankfully didn't read while I was writing. It's only been out a year, I think, uh, but it is the, I I swear, the most lucid thesis on anything I have ever seen. Oh wow. And so it's got me caught as well. Just how the 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 clarity of uh, of the investigation is uh, is very clear. So. I'm stuck between fear and and comfort. So I should live. I need to live in the pub to do this.
2: I also love that term, uh, a phrase, evening. My evening reading, Pierre. I just think that's so lovely. Oh, I should split yeah, well, my yeah. Night
0: times, much... I'm a I'm, I'm nocturnal. I, I stay up at night and sleep in the in the morning because mornings are, are pointless. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: so I see the. Uh, I see the dawn. I'll literally be up. I'll see so, the beautiful part of it, but then everyone's just stressed and and messed up and. Don't wow.
2: And go to bed so you'd actually while. you you would be up say at like half five six and then you go to go yeah. to bed. Wow. Yeah, I'll
0: go to bed at six o'clock or something, yeah, and um, it it's it's just nicer that way. But also, <laughs> you know, because we're we're sponges, I'm not convinced that we are. Uh, completely autonomous from the from the universe it's one of my arguments with technology actually i think we're much more connected to each other and to the the universe than uh, than we give credit we're more sensitive to it and uh, so it makes no sense to be awake when when people are stressed you know. and <laughs> so would
2: you, you would you say you write mostly in that sort of late night into early morning
0: period Is i do that, yeah yeah well. i write yeah I, I write at night it's also perfect because your routine is over with your last meal and mm. your last coffee really there's 10 to 12 hours after that before before you think of doing anything your body shuts down and it's uh, completely lost time so and plus people are dreaming around so maybe the you know, the dream air is much nicer night mm-hmm. is a more comforting place for me anyway yeah daytime is is just rude
2: <laughs> I love that I had no idea although it fits you perfectly Pierre I can just I'm so glad that that is the case It's also
0: yeah it's better for drinking as well yeah, yeah it is
2: yeah <laughs> um Sophie are you are you, you, you going to tell us that you you get up at six and you know write for five hours now oh I
3: I'm I like actually completely opposite I do I, I love being up really early I think I think my, my ideal kind of sleep schedule is like nine to five <laughs> it's quite funny because like my partner is completely the opposite and the, you know especially in lockdown where we can kind of revert to our natural sleep patterns or whatever like there's been definitely nights where I've got up like two hours after he's come to bed <laughs> and it's like this is quite good kind of like a relay system if we actually do have a baby this would be perfect
2: <laughs> and just yeah quite convenient isn't it you know it's to... a Get a couple of hours with each other, and then uh, you can concentrate on <laughs> on what you need to do. It <laughs> we'll keeps the relationship fresh. Probably does, yeah. Yeah, it probably does. <laughs> right.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else,
1: including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
2: So to the book off um, and this is always so interesting for me and uh, hopefully for everyone listening to to hear you know authors talk about a book that's not their own but that's uh, something that they they love that they would put into you know almost anyone's hands and before we get to that let's just find out um, which books you have brought to the party. Sophie which um, book are you putting in for the book off?
3: So I have chosen All My Puny Sorrows
2: by Miriam Taves. By
3: Miriam
0: Taves? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Pierre, what about you? I'm going to go straight for the book I've read the most, the only book I've read about 12 times and which I needed to read. So this is a medication as well as a book and uh, uh, and a map, which is the classic uh, Papillon by Henri Charrier
2: by Henri Charriere, absolutely fab okay well we have to decide who goes first and second uh, so Sophie you get to choose would you like to step up to the plate first and have your three minutes or do you want to do you want to hear Pierre and uh, see what your competition's like what's the format for this
0: um, do we is it singing or you can sing if you like <laughs> <We have> to...
2: <laughs> the three minute Well, you get three minutes each and the three minutes okay. is your own. Uh, you don't have to use all three so if if you if you can pitch your your chosen book in two two and a half minutes that's absolutely fine um but at the stroke of the three minutes we're either gonna ring you out or give you a honk to let you know that the time is up now in in that three minutes you can do whatever you want Pierre so if you If you fancy a bit of a song and dance, we'd be very well... Go for a coffee as well, yeah. um, Go for a coffee,
0: then wrap it up in (laughs) 14 seconds.
2: (laughs) Two and a a half minutes of coffee, and then, you know, 30 (laughs) seconds of pitch. The
0: prize is very much... um, But we're selling the book, aren't we? We're selling a book. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly, and you're sharing... I don't want to be competitive, (laughs) you don't have to be competitive. No, it's fine. (laughs) okay so sophie would you would you like first or
2: second
3: i'm happy to go first
2: going first okay fantastic and pierre at the uh, stroke of your three minutes if and when you get there would you uh, like to be honked or would you prefer the uh, school bell
0: no honking honking (laughs)
2: very good okay
0: (laughs) that's a male thing
2: (laughs) thou shall be horned (laughs) great well sophie it's over to you then i'm going to put three minutes on the clock uh, to tell us about All My Puny Sorrows by Miriam Towers. Over to you.
3: Hey, so All My Puny Sorrows is a book which, to me, is a very special book. I've read it several times and has the distinction of being both, like, the most sad book and also the funniest and most life-affirming book I've ever read in my life. I feel like um, the, the pitch of, like, the plot seems so incredibly dark. Um, it's about two sisters, Elfrida and Yolanda, and Elfrida... Um, wants to end her life and Yolanda wants to keep her alive and so it sounds like so intense and so sad and it is incredibly intense and sad but it's also just wickedly wickedly funny um I am a real stickler for books about sisters as well and this just feels absolutely incredibly real um I think it's just the whole way through I'm kind of you know, I'm I'm laughing and I'm crying and (laughs) thinking about how this book comes from a place of just absolutely unimaginable pain, because it's actually a book based on uh, Miriam Taves's actual life. And it just, there's something incredibly generous and humane about how she could take something so awful and just create something out of it. um, That is like just really amazing. And I just think there's something so important in asking these really big questions about you know what does it mean why are we live why does anything matter and what does it mean when you know someone wants to die and you love that person and what can you even do about it and to ask them ask these questions in a way that is like not remotely mawkish or ponderous but just kind of um really just uh, answers them in a in a beautiful, really life affirming way, and I think as well like maybe because in lockdown I feel like everyone I know has been having emotional crises, um, including me, <laughs> mm. and so it's a kind of to have a book that does you know really go to these dark places and kind of comes back with light is feels just really important now, especially. So I would yeah I want everyone to read it.
2: Fantastic. <laughs> Of the school bell. Uh, even though you didn't, you didn't need it because you were way under the three minutes. That was a fab pitch, um, That's well told. very concise, well told indeed. Yes, um, and a book I, I have to say I do, I don't know it. Um, but we'll Will come we back and that? well, I, I think I'm gonna. Um, we'll come back in a moment and uh, talk about that, Sophie. But you can have a have a breath now because um, I'm putting three minutes back on the clock for you, Pierre. Uh, and so it's over to you to tell us about Papillon.
0: Well, way back in the beginning, once upon a time, <laughs> in a place... Oh, did you hear that? I did, yeah. Okay. That's just adding into the, into the story here. Uh, once upon a time, I grew up in a ridiculously privileged place and had a wonderfully comfortable existence uh, to a crazy extent. And it was in a big house, in a mansion. <clears throat> excuse me. And there were... There was a room there which was just wood-panelled bookshelves and it was filled with books. And across all of my upbringing into adulthood, I can remember the spines of certain books that jumped off the shelf, which I never even took off the shelves. Um, And what happened at a certain point is that uh, this life evaporated and the whole thing went bang and I was made uh, very poor and got into all kinds of trouble. And after a, a few more years as an adult, ended up in a really, really, really dark place. And it just happened that one of the things left around me among the cardboard boxes and bits of really flotsam and debris from that life, which by now was like a dream, was the spine of one of those books that I'd grown up looking at and had never known about. And I finally picked it up and read it, and it was Papillon by Henri Charrier. The legend of the book is that a man who had been a prisoner on Devil's Island in the Caribbean escaped finally after many attempts, and in three weeks wrote longhand in uh, notebooks, his whole story and sent them to Paris and was published as a sensation. And it did turn out to be the most incredible story of human will and persistence and adventure and eventual escape. And I read and read and read this book during my own darkest hours. As they got darker, I read the book more and read it quicker and more furiously and absorbed more and it was a man who was put away on Devil's Island. He was transported in about the 1920s for a crime he maintains he hadn't committed, although he was a standing candidate being a, a petty criminal. And uh, he was in prison on this island but decided he wasn't gonna stay. And he spent years, he mounted, there must have been at least four or five separate really big escape attempts, and each one is It could be a 100 pages long. He would be years and years and years in a dungeon with spiders and bugs and snakes and then would escape and then be recaptured and brought back and then he would hatch a new scheme. And finally, at the end of this book, he throws a bunch of coconuts in a sack and jumps off a cliff having studied the rhythm of the (laughs) waves. I had to do it
2: because it was three minutes, but I don't want it to end. (laughs)
0: Okay, well, that kind of that kind of naturally got there. I spent too long on the intro. (laughs) Damn. Um,
2: Tell us, you've got to finish it now, I think. Uh, Well, no, well, that's pretty much. Okay, fine. The coconuts is the end.
0: It's the ultimate. Listen, anyone going for a a hard time, uh, anyone in that long. You know, we live in very immediate times and, and, and we need we need our gratification and stuff. And unfortunately, life throws some really long games at you. And if you're stuck at home with the wrong person or if you're even physically in prison, uh, you're in one of those situations which is just a long grind. Mm. This is the book because it it describes the will to overcome that and the spirit, but it does it with all these adventures, including Amazon, animals, and all kinds of, of weird and wonderful things. It's just glorious. It is like Enid Blyton. It's like Harry Potter for... for uh, Derelicts and grown-ups. <laughs> Stick that on the cover.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they should do. Oh, fabulous! Um, wow, thank you so much uh, for both of these pictures, which um, which I absolutely loved. Uh, Sophie, coming back to your choice, um, mm-hmm. I just I, I loved how you sort of t- talked about it being the most sad book, but also the most life-affirming book, and I I sort of love that feeling you get from reading. A book that's intense and, and it's sad, but that makes you laugh. I think there's something, there's a real sort of release in it.
3: I'm wondering if, I, if I've done a like a disservice in calling it life affirming because that I, don't, I feel like, that feels like the kind of thing you put on like a self help book uh, and, and, and like eat, <laughs> eat and pay, love, and it's really not. It's you know it's extremely extremely dark. I mean, it's, like, it's just yeah. it's, you know it's it's a funny book about suicide. I mean, it's, it's kind of extremely dark, <laughs> um, but yeah, it does have that kind of maybe like I'm trying to think. What is a better way to put just just, yeah, I can't. Be yeah, I so know it's what you mean. It's hard, <laughs> but I,
2: we'll use life affirming. But we sort of know what you mean. You don't mean it in the uh, in the self help
0: uh, style. It's a good term, isn't it? But it life is a good affirming.
2: term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking about asking the big questions and about how refreshing it it might be to some people to have those sort of on the page and actually reading about it. I mean, I I speak to friends who who do do not like talking about death you know, in any sense. They don't like it when someone dies and they don't want to think about their own demise. And that's fair enough. I think a lot of people are the same. I, however, have got sort of... I'm quite chatty
0: about death in a weird way. I uh, i really... Mexican, you're a Mexican. <laughs> Eres un mexicano. <laughs> because,
2: well, I don't know. I think, you know, everyone's different, but I, I just... I, I'm sort of quite happy to talk about it. And I know that this book is specifically... Um, or it sounds to be specifically about about suicide, which is obviously a, a slightly different to, to to someone just passing away, actually choosing to end one, end one's life. But it, it, I think we need a I think we need more of just the big questions on the page to read about. Um, so I'm definitely drawn to this book, Sophie, and I'm really glad you've you've put it on the radar. And Pierre just wove a fabulous story about a story there. I loved the the image of this wood-panelled room and the spines. Um, it's just, you know, I could see it. And what an, just what an incredible story, you know, that he wrote this long hand and, and sent it to yeah. Paris. I mean, it's... It, it
0: is crazy. It's crazy to think that that
2: could happen in 2020. I mean, not that it would happen in 2020, but thinking about it in 2020, it's, a, it's hard to imagine now, isn't it?
0: Well... Yeah, not for long, here we go again, I swear, (laughs) Uh, within the next few years, as I've been speaking with uh, over the last years, uh, Mm. not deliberately, but uh, casually with many, many people, many much older people, and also many historians and stuff, but uh, we're coming into, um, uh, you know, we're going to come into, uh, let's say, uh, disturbing times, I think. Mm for quite a while but you know what on Sophie's Choice and what we're just talking about Sophie's Choice was a movie wasn't it
2: yes it was it was a book it was a book and a movie I didn't mean to yeah <laughs> to, 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 to coin that there. speaking
0: of her her choice of book highlights something and and what you're just saying about death highlights something absolutely crucial and, and which uh, is the only thing that makes that gives me pride in in writing books is that you know we live in incredibly conformist times, and the pressure to think this or think that and to not voice alternate opinions is really, really strong at the moment. And, you know, it has turned out that the only safe sphere for discussion at the moment is literature. The only one mm-hmm. free of politics and free of commerce at this day is exactly what uh, what Sophie's doing and also the book she's proposing – where we can talk about sticky, uncomfortable things, but we can do it in. We can come from any angle onto these questions, and um, it's as you're saying about death. So much now, more than ever, it needs to be talked about and not shouted about. And actually, books are where we can do that and where that's happening. So uh, it, it, it was just a wonderful illustration of that. Mm. Just came to me that actually doing exactly what they should, which is feeding us there's a backstage to all of this bullshit uh, <laughs> of life and uh, and we can meet backstage and actually talk about the real stuff and we can do that in books so good choice oh. look for it.
2: what a lovely lovely image and a lovely way to round off yeah. Backstage. The podcast, yeah, a backstage. I'd, I'd very happily yeah, backstage. S- stay backstage with you two and uh, and and chat about all things.
0: Um, Next time we'll do it with beers. Yes, I really hope so.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would have brought a nice uh, yeah I would have brought a nice selection of things to the studio had we been there but never mind there's there's always next time and thank you both for these brilliant pictures. both books sound fab and uh, I definitely <laughs> I definitely want to uh, I definitely want to
0: be like grandma and so you love us both the same is that right
2: I don't have a favorite of course I don't I love you equally um but do you know what I'm going to I'm, ju- I'm, I'm gonna take all my puny sorrows today. I'm just uh, for the for the big for the big questions and for the intensity and humour. I think, but I also just think Papillon sounds amazing, and I loved that story that you told about it and what it means to you Pierre. So, there, there are no winners really. There are no winners, and there are no Do <laughs> so You get the
3: celebratory
0: honk. The, the, the yeah, yeah, come you
2: come get a
3: through. bit of both. <laughs> How about that? Oh, that's so loud in my head. Sorry. <laughs>
2: Sorry, I even that was away from the microphone as well. Imagine I what it's like cruise, in here. I want
0: a cruise ship horn. Put the cruise ship horn
2: oh, I haven't got one of those handy. Actually,
0: there you that's go. a fog horn. That'll do. No, oh, it's, it's
2: something like that, isn't it? Something like that. <laughs> Uh, Blue Ticket by Sophie McIntosh is published by Hamish Hamilton and Meanwhile in Dopamine City by DBC Pierre is published by Faber and they are both available now and if they're not on your bookshelves they should be because they are absolutely fabulous books and I have loved reading them and I've loved talking to you both. Thanks so much for taking the time for battling the technology and um, wish you all the best with these and the future creative endeavours. Thank you, Joe. Thanks Thanks so much. I'll see you backstage.